0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Azure Talks. Um, And thank you so much for joining today. Um, Today I'm in the podcast with an exciting guest, at least I find it very exciting guest, um, which will tell us about all the wonderful things and also the horrifying challenges in the space and the world of cloud security. Um, He's a senior cloud security advocate at Microsoft. I believe he's a former Microsoft MVP for quite some years, Um, author of some books and from the must learn KQL series. Um, cybersecurity expert, Rod Trent. Welcome, Rod.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, It's a joy to be here, to tell you the truth. I I love talking about the things I love to talk about. And when you had kind of approached me about being on this podcast, I was extremely excited. Um, and, and, And hopefully I can bring some, like you said, bring some excitement to the discussion today around... Security, cloud security, maybe some cybersecurity. and I think maybe, maybe we'll talk a little bit about artificial
0: intelligence. I think so. Well, oh, that would be awesome, and I, I guess that security has been hot stuff for the last recent years, <throat> year, right? So there are a lot of topics that we could cover because security is everywhere within your IT landscape or your application landscape. Um, and well, I'm I'm very happy to have you here on the show today, and eager to learn from your wisdom and your experience uh, you will share with us today. And without further ado, let's dive right in. And I would suggest to start at the beginning, because for me, the very beginning is security strategy. Mm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, and kind of if, you know, we kind of funnel and and talk a little bit, kind of like this cloud security strategy, I think if we want to focus there, I think um, one of the things that I generally like to highlight, whether it's, you know, on a podcast or webinar or um, in person, I'll be at the Midwest Management Summit at the end of the month um, in person there. What I really like to do and kind of cover is talk to those individuals that are um, either in the midst of migration or considering migration or just, you know doing kind of a hybrid model of migrating workloads to the cloud. My my primary focus at Microsoft, it's kind of changed over the past few weeks, but we'll talk about that later, but um, my primary focus at Microsoft has been the cloud side of security because at Microsoft, we've identified working with customers that this is kind of one of those areas where there's some gray areas and there's some potential for education around how to kind of modernize the approach and the strategy um, for security. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've heard even recently, I, you know, I, you talked earlier about community. I always like to stay engaged and figure out what our customers are doing, what our partners are doing, what, where there might be some gaps that in knowledge that we can supply and things like this. I've heard uh, even recently a couple of situations where some customers, and, and I don't know how factual this is or not, because it's kind of in the public realm, but some customers have migrated to the cloud, and then they're wanting to migrate back because it wasn't a good experience. Um, I think a lot of times um, customers to have that good experience need to realize that the cloud is different than mm-hmm. on-premises, right? Even from a security approach, we approach things much differently when we can look at a box and you know control who has access to that versus you know, that virtual machine or something being in the cloud. There is the potential for better security, but again, it's kind of a a mind shift, a little bit of mentality and approach change that has to happen in in respect to running workloads either on-premises or on the cloud or kind of a mixture of both. So it's not like running things on-premises. You kind of have to modernize your thinking just a little bit to understand that it's different. And you need to understand what those discrepancies and what those differences are. And that's when you start to have that success. Um, and, and I would almost guarantee you that those customers that I heard potentially that trying to migrate some workloads back, they literally went in as part of one of their project lists and said, OK, we're migrating everything. Or maybe their CEO or some you know, C-level exec said, hey, I talked to these people, we got to migrate everything. It's going to save us so much money. Um, the customers that do that that project is just going to drag them down <laughs> right i hate it, it needs to lot. be kind yeah. of a needs to be kind of a workload by workload migration and not everything needs to be migrated to the cloud just to be honest with you right some things work better on premises but again there's that whole mentality and mind shift um and, and i think a lot of it is more or less around kind of this zero trust approach or zero trust mentality where a lot of times from a security perspective, customers have kind of tried to build these, these kind of like the old moat around mm-hmm. the organization. We're trying to protect people from getting in. Um, so we're building this, this, this protection around with our firewalls and things like this. Um, you're never gonna keep people out. As long as you have end users in your organization that do silly things, click on silly things, you're never gonna keep intruders out. Um, what you want to do is start right at the beginning, that device, that user, you need to identify and verify that identity, that device, and things like this on the onset, instead of trying to build a mode around it once you have it deployed. You need to deploy these things from this zero trust model so that you can tr- well, not really trust them, but at least trust that deployment of what that thing is so that then you can monitor and manage the security for that device after, right? So you're a little bit um, more um, more secure about how that is deployed. And in doing so, we at Microsoft, we've created some very significant, very important, I believe, tools that are critical to this process. Things like Defender for Cloud, um, our Defender, you know, endpoint, Defender for Identity, all of our Defender branded Microsoft likes to put, you know, rebrand every six months. And I promise you, we will rebrand here shortly again on some things. all of our Defender products, you know, uh, you talked a little bit earlier about security being kind of this hot area. Um, I, I think, I you know, I've not worked for Microsoft forever. I was a customer. I was an MVP, like you had mentioned, um, but I have seen Microsoft over the past five or six years get really serious and understand that the only way that customers are going to be successful in the cloud is that there needs to be a focus on the security first, mm-hmm. right? Deploy these workloads securely. So, we have invested heavily. We have gone from um, the laughing stock of patching, I would say, through the two, 2000s, yeah. right, to an actual security company within a very short period of time because that's where we put our focus. We wanted to ensure that our customers, no matter they were using our products or they were connecting other products or other clouds or other hybrid situations to Azure, that they should be able to secure their entire environment. Um, so these tools are important for that um, for that approach and for that model and for those workload migrations to the cloud. Defender for cloud, um, as much as I have worked with Microsoft Sentinel for the past four years, like literally every day, and I absolutely love that tool, and I'll preach it, you know, to the mountains, ah, Sentinel's <laughs> awesome. Defender for cloud is more important for those workload migrations than Microsoft Sentinel is. Yes, Sentinel has um, some key features and some key um, value that's going to help you continue and monitor security for your environment. But as you migrate those workloads, when you turn on Defender for Cloud for those workloads, it's going to enable you um, to deploy those securely from this modern perspective that we're talking about, not the old on prem legacy kind of model or approach, but from a more modern cloud-based defender um, approach defender for cloud migrate that workload it's going to give you recommendations so if you deploy that and there's a port left open because you used to leave that thing open on premises it's going to tell you that this port is left open and here's the reason why you shouldn't do that would you like me to close that for you would you like me to fix that for you obviously customers have the opportunity to adjust that as they go along but it's going to help them secure it but at the same time which i think is wonderful i think sometimes a lot of customers and even us microsoft folks overlook this it's a teaching tool mm. talk about that that modernization and that change in um and that change in approach and that mindset defender for cloud can help change that approach and and eventually customers are like oh my goodness there's a lot of this stuff that we didn't even do on premises so they will take what they have learned through Defender for Cloud and kind of take that same approach and that same model on-premises. So it's a, it's a holistic teaching tool as well, I think people tend to
0: overlook. It's awesome because what you're actually mentioning is, um, I tried to quote it from the Microsoft documentation from Learn, but there's something in the cloud adoption framework around the paradigm shift, right? So from yeah. traditional to more modern, <laughs> cloud-based, um, maybe even cloud-native. Approaches and modernization of your landscape, and what you're actually telling me is that there are customers that by the belief that they will reduce cost or increase their security posture or better handle compliance and regulation. Um, they will adopt the cloud. They will migrate their workloads to cloud, mm-hmm. and they fail heavily in doing so. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that Defender for Cloud actually is um, leveraging that, that, that cloud adoption mindset. Because as you mentioned, you can just, on a click of a button, um, implement a recommendation given to you by Microsoft. However, it's not just fire and forget. Because if your next workload has the same port, let's say, 3389 for your RDP workloads for your remote desktop environment, if you have that open, it will just pop on again. So yeah. um, it's a, a, like a, a, in-your-face tool, I would say. <laughs> um, it can be. It can be if you enable
1: it to be that way. And
0: I would recommend mm-hmm. that you do that. <laughs> so cloud adoption may be one of the key success factors for your security approach in the cloud as well. Um, but let's say that we have an organization that um, has the technical skills and has the business case around it and um, knows how the financials work in cloud because that's a that's a very important one, right? So um, we have, we 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 talked about this with uh, Leo Comrad in the last episode and the episode before with uh, Steve Buchanan, both colleague of yours. Um, and I keep mentioning it, mentioning it, and I will do so again in this. Uh, podcast in this episode lifting and shifting without optimization will make your costs grow in the cloud if you are not going to leverage the power of the cloud um, don't expect it to be more cost efficient it can be but you have to do something for it Yeah, and I guess the same goes for security right (laughs) so we have all these bells and buttons within the We're at Azure Talk, so we're talking Azure products and services. We have all these bells and buttons, products, services, tools um, within Azure to increase your security posture. That doesn't mean that we have to build 500 Azure firewalls or third-party NVAs to strengthen your your security posture. Um, So there comes some strategy or some design work within. Maybe you can explain a little on... How Microsoft Sentinel and Microsoft Defender for Cloud work together to improve your security in the cloud. Right.
1: Well, and and I appreciate that. That that's one of the things I think um, is kind of like that value add that customers kind of need to understand. Again, you know, I come from primarily the Sentinel side of the house here in cybersecurity. I've worked with that tool every every single day. Um, Just to kind of explain what these things do and kind of a better way of understanding these. So we, we we have all these Defender products, right? We have Defender for Cloud, we have Defender for Endpoint, we have all the 365 Defender stuff. Um, they, each one of those do a very good job at what it's intended to do, right? So you have the identity stuff, Defender for Endpoint, obviously the devices, uh, things like that. Um, they're very good at what they do. Um, Defender for Cloud handles those cloud workloads, right? We have different workloads that are built in um, it also does things on prem, right? Defender for Cloud. It also does things in AWS, right? Um, and does things in Google Cloud and, and any other cloud that we need to um, connect. As I was talking a little bit earlier, um, in a perfect world, all customers—the only thing that they would use—are Microsoft products. But that's not the case, um, and, and we don't—we really don't expect that, and we know that as Microsoft that works with, you know, great, huge number of customers, Um, they may be utilizing some application that's critical to their business that was designed and developed to run in AWS. We believe that we should still at Microsoft help those customers secure that AWS workload. Right. Right. Um, So while Defender for Cloud is kind of focused on, you know, connecting AWS, we are using Microsoft tooling to be able to capture that information. Um, Microsoft Sentinel, on the other hand, <clears throat> um, best way to kind of describe this. And I described it many times like this, but I think it's probably kind of the, the best storyline. Um, one of my favorite TV shows comes on every Tuesday night here in the United States called um, The Curse of Oak Island. I don't know how many people are familiar with this. These two brothers, They're based in Michigan in the United States. They bought this island in Nova Scotia um, under the pretense that there is this legend that the Knights Templar, you know, it sounds fantastical, but the the Knights Templar actually buried treasure on this island up in Nova Scotia. Um, Love the show. My wife hates it. She leaves the room every time it comes on. Uh, (laughs) That's all right. Um, I try to get her to watch it with me and get her interested, but that's okay. Um, but I love a show. I'm addicted. I'm hooked. It's, it's, it's into its 10th season. So as you can imagine, they find things periodically. They haven't found the big, you know, uh, the big treasure or whatever yet, but they're, they're getting there. But what they do is they identify somewhere that they need to dig and they bring in these huge, massive pieces of equipment, like backhoes and, you know, things like that. And they dig out the earth and they, all, they sift through it. They you know metal detect that earth that they dig up, looking for that thing, looking for something, some evidence that they're on the right track. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not those huge, massive pieces of equipment um, that do an extremely great job in digging up earth that actually identify those things. It's, it's what we call the sluice box. If you're familiar with what a sluice box is, mm-hmm. sluice box <clears throat> runs water through it along with the dirt. And the small things kind of get shifted. The big things get pushed out. The small things filter and, and end up in this little screen. And you find evidence of things, right? Some storyline or, or evidence of uh, that you're on the right track. And that's kind of what Sentinel does for us. So we have these really awesome, massive, awesome products, all of our Defender stuff, Defender for Cloud, Endpoint, Identity. We connect all of that to Microsoft Sentinel. So that the things that it misses, Sentinel, like that sluice box, is going to pull up those little nuggets of um, security that we are looking for that we don't want to miss. Mm -hmm. But also in doing so, I can connect anything in my environment to Microsoft Sentinel. Anything that has a signal, anything that a signal is developed from a log file, you can connect it to Microsoft Sentinel so that the entire environment is captured right so my cisco devices my palo alto devices anything on prem anything in any other cloud any other service service now whatever that service happens to be we can connect those logs to microsoft sentinel so that we can see an actual holistic view of security for the environment instead of just what defender for identity covers or what defender for cloud is covering we can now tie everything together so uh, for example email comes into a user's inbox. Again, those silly users doing silly things. Email looks, you know, if I looked at it as a security person, I would tell anyone don't click on that. That's just, you shouldn't do that. But for whatever reason, user clicks on it. Um, and they're pushed out through a port in our firewall and they're sent to a website and that website is probably not a website I would go to, but the user's like, Hey, it looks, looks nice. Something downloads in the background that the user never sees. It installs on the system. Um, It sits and the way threat actors work these days. It will install and it will kind of check some ports, maybe check some some, uh, other identities and other profiles on the system. And if there's nothing really evident, it will sit idle. And most of them sit idle for like two or three months, waiting for the right opportunity, right? To do something nefarious. Now, we don't want to wait two or three months as security Folks, I don't want two or three months down the road to understand that my entire environment is now infiltrated because of that one, that one click.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What Sentinel does is it it looks at that email address. It looks at that click. It looks at that, that port. It identifies that that thing, that process was downloaded and installed, and it's going to capture all that stuff for me. Because I have my entire environment connected and it's going to do it right now instead of two to three months later, I can go ahead and isolate that system, isolate that user account and take care of that before it becomes a much larger problem.
0: Would it be a problem if, let's say, we're talking about cyber criminality right now, right? So it's just cyber crime. Um, yep. Someone that wants to do bad to your environment or to your business sits there for two three months. What would happen if they would strike immediately
1: well if they would strike immediately obviously if you have the right tools in place um i think that's another one of the unfortunate things the number of customers i've worked with that 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 don't use things like sentinel don't use this kind of um, seamless integration of the environment they'll use five or six different tools doing all these different things And because they're not tied together and show the entire storyline of the event, um, they're not going to capture that event until three or four days later. Right. So, an hour for some event like that, when it takes hold right away, that, you know, finding out even an hour later is sometimes um, too difficult and too much um, because it's really easy for these things if they find the right ports and the right user accounts to take advantage of it's really easy for them to take hold like right away. So um, something like Microsoft Sentinel and with all the things connected to it, we're gonna find that right away.
0: Yeah, and it, we shouldn't forget, we're talking about prevention and detection and response right now. So, and we shouldn't forget that um, it isn't so long ago that we, well, let's say in the endpoint uh, detection response systems that we had um, the definition updates for your antivirus yeah. And those were just to, well, let's say, bridge the gap between today and one month ago. So yeah. um, it sounds scary about well that 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 actually the vulnerability is in there for one or two months or three months before it strikes. Um, but thinking back on the on let's say five six years back where you had your antivirus, we were as service providers or as partners for our customers, we weren't updating those definitions every day. So right. um looking at more on your detection and response for your security posture makes more sense than just updating your 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 walls let's say.
1: Yeah well that's that's a good point too. I, I would i don't know how often you check but if if you run windows we even have it for um you know linux and mac and and android and ios and stuff like that um but we had the defender for product that's updated you
0: Mm -hmm. don't see it
1: but that is updated literally three or four times a day Mm -hmm. um where you were talking about yeah um in in the old days it pros would absolutely for whatever reason um it was probably good i would say because at Microsoft, we that, when I talked about that whole patching situation, pe- customers would wait 30 days or longer to patch because they knew didn't know if something would break or you know. Um, but we've become very good at identifying that stuff. The even from the Windows AV side, the Defender stuff that we have for the devices that's updated daily, those are updated for a reason. People don't hmm. realize four or five times a day. Sometimes um, you don't see it; it's just updated. Doesn't notify you. Um, in the old days, um, the IT pros would wait to deploy those. Um, I can remember, I don't know, what was it, 2009, 2010, I was sitting at the Microsoft Management Summit. McAfee had sent out a uh, signature update to every customer on the planet, and it broke every <laughs> workstation and every server on the planet. And um, all of those people that were in attendance, so I think we had five, 6,000 people that year um, that used McAfee, nobody was in sessions they are all trying to fix all their environments right um, but i think we've become very good at rolling out just the necessity and just the types of signatures that need to flow out one of the things i think is is really important i mentioned you know it, it's going to be updated four or five times a day automatically um, a lot of what we do at microsoft and and we've talked about this even more recently we have a specific product on this defender for threat intelligence right mm-hmm. At Microsoft when customers use our products things like office um, and things like that as I mentioned earlier everything that you use identities users devices whatever if there's a log file there is um, security importance in that log file that's going to develop a signal as customers use our products and those signals are developed they're fed back at Microsoft we actually take those signals we identify whether they're true value or not, and then they're actually fed back into the system. So that stuff that gets updated four or five times a day in the Windows Defender, um, there's a reason for that because in those trillions of signals that we collect every day, we found at least something that needed to be updated and kind of, like you said, bridge that gap. So we're we're updating systems as we go along. But there's a lot of value in that threat intelligence. Um, We are, at Microsoft, I think probably the largest entity on the planet that does... That collects the most threat intelligence from the systems that our customers use.
0: That's actually, I find it very exciting because, as you mentioned at the start of of our conversation, that when people told me ten years ago that Microsoft would be one of the biggest security <laughs> companies in the world, um, I would probably look at my agenda and see if it was the first of April. Right? I would, I would, I would assume it would be an April Fool's joke. Um, but fast forward 10 years, um, Microsoft has done a very great job by acquisition, by developing, by optimizing, um, but has done a very great job by building this total portfolio of point solutions and the integration between them. So we we have a full portfolio of security products and services um, that, as you mentioned, even manage other premises, whether it be another cloud, on-premises, and at the edge. Um, so very exciting about about the way forward Microsoft is doing right now. Um, we did touch it a little bit on um, people starting with cloud and cloud strategy and security strategy, but I figure that there might be some people that are listening right now and think. I should really dive into that Microsoft Sentinel stuff or that uh, Defender for Cloud or Defender for Endpoint or the Defender Suite. Um, how should they get started with those products?
1: So that's, that's, that's another great question. Um, in addition to becoming a security company and working really hard at that and developing some really good products and really good approaches um, to security, recommendations and things like that um right along the way and in line with everything we have created some really awesome learning tools so if you go to learn.microsoft.com there are learning paths for each of these products um learning paths on their own but also learning paths that kind of um, funnel each individual that you know wants to learn about sentinel or wants to learn about defender products or defender for cloud or what have you um, into what we call the SC series of exams. There's, uh, all the way from SC 100. Now, I think to SC, is there a 500? I'm not sure. At at least SC 400. I don't know if the 500 is there yet or not, but, um, there's 900 though. Oh, so it, it (laughs) 400 to 900, right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sorry. I get that wrong sometimes. Um, but the SE series of exams, security exams, right, um, are kind of an important thing. They're going to give you all the knowledge that you need, and you utilize that along with some of the hands-on. Because if you think about um, Defender for Cloud and, and Microsoft Sentinel, you, all you need is an Azure account, and you get 30 days free trial for these products to go in and just get some hands-on with it and figure these things out and just go in and, like I do, go in and start messing with it and fall in love with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, and figure out how that they would fit within your environment. But again, um, I, I think that's the best way. The best approach is to take a look at that. Obviously, there's um, some hard work that's being done across all of our product groups that develop things like we have uh, uh, ninja series training. Right. If you go to, I think, aka.ms slash uh ninja training i think it is it's going to give you the list of all of our ninja trainings and what that is is just kind of some aggregated links provided from each of those product teams of the things that they think and they believe that's necessary for you to know to be able to utilize the product again if you come back to the learn modules it's going to have some wealth of a dividend where you're going to be able to sit for that exam right Mm. Uh, so that's, that's kind of important. Those SE series exams have really become kind of the primary and kind of mainstay for those organizations that want their folks um, to utilize Microsoft Security Stack across their
0: environment. Awesome, awesome. And, well, the learning continues because, as we mentioned earlier, there are some exciting stuff being integrated with artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I would invite you to talk a little about the things that you're working on right now, and maybe even dwell a little bit on the, the concepts of why you are um, developing some sort of services or integrating them. And just, I'm also very interested in how Microsoft is managing more of the horri- uh, horrifying part of those Services because it can, can get scary really quick, right? Yeah. Well, it can. Um,
1: I think there's really kind of misnomer and a kind of misconception right now around this generative AI. You know, um, I am the AI lead on my team, uh, from a security perspective. Uh early on when Microsoft started talking about this, like what January, I think is probably some of the first evidence of that. Um, I'm a security person through and through. Um, my first questions are always is it secure right mm-hmm. is that api secure what's that api stream look like uh, the unfortunate thing at the time i was the only one asking those questions uh, which is now the reason why i'm the ai lead on my team um but what i've discovered working in depth with uh, the artificial intelligence the chat gpt stuff and Dolly, and um what i've identified is that that um while a lot of People and customers are enamored with that chat GPT, that public version of the OpenAI system. Um, We do some things at Microsoft, which I'm actually starting to become extremely proud of and start to talk about. We put Azure and the power of Azure and Azure security, you know, RBAC and and some of those identities and things and how putting kind of the Azure guardrails, if you will, around that chat GPT and those instances that generated the AI and things like that. Um, so, I kind of hesitate a lot, right, to say, yeah, go check out Jet, Chat GPT." Yeah, pay for the premium version because you get that extra stuff in the API and everything and you can develop your own apps. I tell people just to just kind of hesitate and, and just slow down for just a second. Yes, there's some absolute value there, which we found, right, um, in particularly even from a security perspective and being able to provide additional Um, value to what we're doing for uh, analysts and cyber security and things like that. However, um, I would wait for the Azure OpenAI Cognitive Service version of the ChatGPT because that's what I've been working with. I I started personally with the ChatGPT public stuff and then migrated over to the Azure OpenAI stuff about a month ago. And I I can't tell you just it's kind of like a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because It's... I think we're doing, and we're taking the right approach at Microsoft and trying to develop responsible AI, right? Ensuring that the security is in place, um, ensuring that there are ways to monitor um, privacy, monitor leaks, um, monitor those things that everyone seems to be afraid of. Elon, I think every day says, "Hey, we got to stop this," but instead yeah, he, he creates his own. But instead he creates his own uh, company last week for AI. So you know, who knows? Um, but there are some detriments to it. Absolutely. But as long as you get the right guardrails in place and you approach it with the right mentality about what it is, this generative AI is, is all based on the data that is fed into it. Right. So, um, I spent a lot of time over the past, you know, several weeks, a couple months, um, learning to kind of build and develop my own models that I'm training my own AI with. In fact, I'm working now to try to hopefully here release publicly and then um, also open source it, put it out on a GitHub repository somewhere um, specific to things like KQL, the query language that we utilize in Sentinel and Defender and things like this, um, where customers would be able to go in, create their own instance where if they're migrating from something like, let's say Splunk, or mm-hmm. radar, or logarithm and they want to retain some of their old detections, their old values, all they have to do is stick it into this tool and it's automatically going to create those detections for you. Um, you can do that with a public GPT today, but you have to go back and it's not perfect. And you have to know KQL to go in and take a look at it and say, oh, didn't quite get it right. Now I've got to fix it myself because it's not perfect. It's, it, again, it's based on what is being fed into that that model or that engine. So the things that I'm doing, at least with um, in respect to the thing I'm working on, is it knows about KQL. It knows about those other detections so that it's going to be more accurate the first time.
0: And what you're actually sh- saying is that um, that might, I, I, may, I might be a little bit biased because um, Azure OpenAI Cognitive Services, um, but it's more of a governance solution yeah, um compared to more of the uh open AI solutions we already know on uh it's on it's wild west
1: versus uh an established western city. Let's put it mm. that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So when talking about security operations, me as a SOC as a security operation center analyst or engineer, um what benefits can I Expect in the near future from those products and services that Microsoft is working on right now.
1: Yep. Uh, so about two weeks ago, we held our first annual. Was it two weeks or three weeks? I forget now. But we had our first annual, first ever um, Microsoft um, Secure, which is our first party secure event. We mm-hmm. are feeling really good about the security industry at this point, as being a as being a security company that we're you know we have our own event now. Um, we during the event showed some demos and things of what we call security copilot and just as you've seen us put the word defender literally on everything in our security platform you're going to see the word copilot yeah <laughs> stuck on everything that we have in every other product it seems like um cuz what do we have now we have office copilot which is not quite yet available it's in private preview i think um uh what else do we have github copilot which is amazing by the way i use that like every day uh, which I'm not a developer, but that GitHub Copilot makes me a developer. I'm like, man, this is cool. Um, it even
0: gives uh, recommendations when writing blogs, but blog posts. It's it's yeah. it's 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 absolutely fantastic. True.
1: Yeah, uh, we have the Bing Copilot now, where you know if you're if you use Edge, you can you know ask it questions that and even create images. Anyway, so we have the security Copilot, which are kind of taking that same similar model again, feeding it something very specific. In this case. The things about security that threat intelligence we talked about and things like that. Um, so yeah, we did show some demos. That is currently in development at Microsoft, and it's going to be absolutely awesome. And, and and I go back, so it's going to provide a lot of value, right? Um, particularly for analysts and security folks. I see it, um, and it's gonna it's going to be a lot to it. There's going to be a lot of cool value. But again, I always like to hearken back to that education piece. Mm-hmm. So Working in Microsoft Sentinel or Defender, maybe for some advanced hunting, um, you want to look for something specific. You say, "Hey, create a query for this." It's going to automatically create that query for you without you having to have you know um, additional knowledge around that. How? But um, an incident gets created in Microsoft Sentinel. Uh, uh, it's, you've determined it absolutely needs to be investigated. You can ask that security co-pilot questions about that or it's going to know based on that specific incident what the criteria is that it needs to search on and it's going to produce and develop and offer you um, suggestions of how to react to that again that's awesome from a security perspective it's going to help customers learn how to use microsoft sentinel better and learn kql but it's also again an education tool this modern kind of scene, this modern kind of security tool, how this modern era, how you're going to approach security from that perspective, it's going to know and help educate your analyst on how to do that. So the next time you may not have to ask that security copilot, you just do it. Or based on what that recommendation is from that security copilot, you may create some automation around that. So it just automatically manages that for you next time.
0: Yeah. So put it in a playbook and um... Well, then it would be some sort of fire and forget. But I do want to emphasize that we mentioned cloud adoption earlier. And my field, I see the same with things like Kubernetes and containerizing stuff, that all these managed services make things easier for you. But for us as IT pros or as subject matter experts, you do have to know what goes down under the hood. Um, So, for instance, if artificial intelligence is helping you out, create your KQL query, um, you do have to understand what the query is doing and what data it is giving back and what it's not. And um, we are very lucky that someone helped us improve threat hunting and incident response capabilities with something called Learn KQL. (laughs) Uh, and obviously that is that is you because you created the Must Learn KQL series. Um, and I wanted to ask what inspired you to create that series? Well, that's an that's actually an
1: interesting story. Uh the inspiration was actually a lack of inspiration. Um hmm. no, I said <clears throat> it's been about two years now, potentially. Yeah, it's getting close, but um I sat in a product team meeting a couple of years ago, uh, and it was brought up during that meeting based on customer feedback that customers were not utilizing Microsoft Sentinel or Defender for Cloud or Defender stuff to the extent that they should because they were afraid of this new brand new query language, which it's not really brand new or wasn't at the time. But I think to a lot of customers, just starting to take advantage of the cloud, it was brand new, and hmm. it just seemed like a brand new thing. Um, KQL, Kusto Query Language, is a query language that was developed to take advantage of cloud clustering and resources. Right. So you have things like SQL uh, query language, SQL Server. You have um, there's another Custo. Um, there's a few other query language. Spl- Every scene has their own um, query language. And I, I kind of found out early on working with our customers with Microsoft Sentinel that the query languages they were using were just, oh, my goodness, burdensome and um, problematic. I worked with a customer uh, in Oklahoma at one point. I was there to deliver a week-long workshop on Microsoft Sentinel. They were migrating from Curator or wanting to migrate from Curator. And that was the biggest evidence to me of how powerful and simple this KQL query language is, right? Um, They would, as part of their municipality, law enforcement would come to them and ask for Data that they had stored in their seam or their data stores that they were utilizing their seam, their SLA for law enforcement was three days. That meant they had to create the query, debug the query if it, you know, if they didn't write it correctly, um, query and utilize the CPU and data resources to pull that data in within three days. And that, to me, I thought that's just amazingly silly. Right. That that a query language or a tool like that would take three days to return from a security perspective. If I don't have information like this, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Right. If it's going to take me three days to get that information, can you just imagine the state of that environment? Right. That's just crazy. Um, So we took their data, migrated it to Microsoft Sentinel, ran their query and against their data. In Microsoft Sentinel, and also in their tool, um, the results for Microsoft Sentinel came back within with less than 15 seconds. And the reason behind that is KQL was built to take advantage of the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. The CPU resources being elastic, being able to take care of, take advantage of clustering. The whole goal of this query language is to pull back results extremely quickly. Um, and, and that's not just, I love it from a security perspective, but it's not just security. It's also performance. If your VM is at, you know, running poorly, you're supplying some kind of service or application to thousands of people, or maybe it's even a public thing, and there's a performance issue, you need to know about it right away. Otherwise, your inbox, help inbox starts flooding because of customer complaints, right? So you need to be on top of that. That's another reason for this query language. It's very powerful, very simple. So sitting in that Meeting with those product managers and, and hearing that, I was just like, what the? Oh my <laughs> goodness, that should never be. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to start a blog series on KQL. I'm going to go through the very simple, very easy steps to kind of learn and all of the things that you would see as a security person, all those different KQL operators and functions and things like this. I didn't know how far it was going to be. I had no plans. Uh, it ended up being like 20 chapters or 20 blog posts. Um, and then at the end I decided, Hey, I'm just going to slap a certificate on this. If you finish this, ask for a certificate, I'm going to give it to you. Oh my goodness. This thing took off. It was, you know, one of those unintended things in your life. You're just like, Hey, I'm just going to do this for myself. I know some customers are going to enjoy this, but uh, as of today, um, we have a little over 3000 people that have requested a certificate. Many, many more have gone through this thing and are still going through it. Um, I wanted to kind of expand the audience um, beyond just because it's on a GitHub repository. Anyone who goes to ak.ms slash mustlearnkql will find everything all the way from the examples in the series to the series itself. But I wanted to expand beyond that because, you know, it, it seemed to be kind of important. So I created some Amazon versions of this as well. There's the Kindle version. There's actual physical physical copies. I mentioned I'll be at the Midwest Management Summit at the end of the month. I'll have ten copies with me to give away as swag, um, signed copies, of course. Um, unless I don't like you. If you find, if you open it, it doesn't have my signature, then no, I'm just kidding. Um, then just ask me to sign it, and I'll sign it. Uh, but there's Amazon copies, and people. Um, yeah, the thing about this is, though, I make no money off this. My intent on this was to educate people on KQL because I believe it's absolutely necessary. If you're going to work within the cloud, we talk about those performance statistics for things like VMs and Kubernetes and your containers and stuff like that. And, and also from a security perspective, I believe it's absolutely critical. Um, so anything that gets any money that gets purchased or as part of this series, all that money goes. Um, the St. Jude Children's um, Hospital, right? So to help children with whatever ailment or malady they have, secure um, cancer mostly and things like that. So it's a way of also giving back. So Beautiful. you know, I I, yeah. I apologize right up front that the Amazon tools to convert this book into an Amazon version it's not that great. It doesn't provide page numbers, which I've heard I hate books without page numbers. Um, and sometimes the images are a little crappy in the printed copies and I apologize for that, but that's, that's not my fault. That's Amazon's I've tried to, but think about that, that really small nominal fee. It's like $1.99 for the Kindle version. I think it's like 10 bucks for the soft cover version. I, I kept it as minimal as possible, just so there would be enough money to go to St. Jude's when you purchase this thing. So you're actually kind of giving back when you do that. Awesome. Uh, requesting those. So.
0: Yeah. Awesome. A beautiful, beautiful uh, to, to give back to uh, to those kind of uh, organizations. Yeah. Uh, Rod, um, I found it a fantastic conversation. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the episode. Um, I would like to thank you for your inspiration today. And it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, before we wrap this episode up, um, your... Well, I, I can not figure people can not find you online, but just uh, for the sake of um, being very, very concrete about these kind of things, where can people find you?
1: Yes, I'm a very public person because I have worked uh, with communities, I would say probably all of my career, uh, whether working for Microsoft or not. Very easy to find me. You can find me on Twitter, um, just at Rod Trent, all one word. Uh, LinkedIn, it's very easy to find me as well. And in fact, if you want to connect with me and ask me questions, I'm happy to answer those. Um, Most likely you'd want to do that on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is just a way to kind of participate and chat with people about certain topics and things like that and less personal. But yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm also on Mastodon. Um, When Elon acquired Twitter and everybody got up in arms and upset, I said, just hold on. Everything's going to get better. A lot of people went to Mastodon, so I went there myself too, just to see what it's like. Um, unfortunately, it has potential, but it just seems like that's where posts go to die. So if you want to go find me on there, I'm there as well. Um, I People ask, why do you still do it here? And I, I go where our customers are, right? Mm. Our customers, it's not up to me to tell you where to come find me. It's up to you to tell me where to come find you and participate wherever you happen to participate in that community, um, whether it's Reddit, Discord, wherever, you're going to find me there. So
0: Awesome. Well, I believe no one will have trouble finding you, and if they do, um, I can always uh, point them uh, towards uh, the right right destination. Um, Thank you again, Rod. Um, And obviously, to all the listeners, thank you for joining us again today. Um, Have a wonderful day and hope you will be there the next time as well. Take care. Thanks, everyone.